if you were at church Sunday, it looked like we finished up the endangered species. Just kind of a heads up over that, we really didn't. Um, so it was Father's Day, and we did the endangered species. Been talking about men, been talking about fathers, been talking about fatherhood. Uh, been talking about the attack that our culture is making on men right now. Uh, it is just not okay to be a man. And I gave you some statistics about how men now prefer, uh, it's 40, almost 40% of, of men prefer having children that are, uh, that are little girls instead of little boys, uh, just because they feel it's a woman's world. And I gave you those statistics, gave you some other statistics about uh, even firstborns, uh, mothers wanting their firstborn to be a girl instead of a boy. So why? There's a lot of things happening in our culture. I don't know if any of you happened to see uh, the Today Show early yesterday morning, but it was just, and I, I started to try to pull the clip and show it to you this morning just to show you how our culture is celebrating things that are that are absolutely asinine. I don't know another word for it. I'm, I apologize. That's not a cuss word unless you just take the prefix, okay? So, so here, but, but they, there was a little 10-year-old boy on there that uh, is a cross-dresser. Um, did you see it? And walking down the aisle and, and all this stuff, and he had on, you know, makeup, and he has the long eyelashes, and he acts feminine and all these things. And, and here's, here's the deal. You know, they were just celebrating who this boy was, and they interviewed his mother, and his mother said, well, you know, he's 10 today, but several years ago uh, he would sit in, in there, for hours with me and watch uh, RuPaul. Now RuPaul is a famous. I don't know what. I don't know what he or she is. Is a he she. Okay, and and so RuPaul is one of these that uh, has a some kind of TV program. I looked it up on my phone. Been out there for years. Cross dresser, transgender. I don't know what. Anyway, he has a show out there that they dress up in in all these women clothes, clothes, and then they walk down the, the aisle, whatever that aisle's called, and show it off. And, you know, men dressed up as women. Anyway, so that's what this boy is, for years has watched with his mother. Now he's cross-dressing. And uh, they even asked the boy, this is what was peculiar about this whole thing, they even asked the boy if he were gay. Now he's 10 years old. And at first they asked him if he were transgender. And I don't know how many 10-year-olds, I don't know that my 11-year-old, well, I can tell you right now, she doesn't know what that means. So they asked him in the interview, are you transgender? And he said, no. And they said, are you gay? And he said, yes. And they said, when did you become gay? And he said, well, I was born this way. This is, I, I was born posing like this. And so, uh, you know, and the Today Show was celebrating all of that. We've got to watch our culture. So I told you that I was going to unpack some things over the next three to four weeks, things that I went over on Sunday about fathers, about manhood. Uh, if you were here this past Sunday, um, hopefully you saw those 11 characteristics of God the Father that he innately poured into men to be men and to be fathers. And so today I'm going to start unpacking some of those 11 things that we were talking about because our culture is celebrating the wrong things. They're confusing. It's like I said over the last couple weeks that, men, if we don't defend our gender, then we don't defend God or the call on our life. You were created man. Women was created. A woman was created a woman. Genesis chapter 5. And, and there's nothing in between. God didn't make a mistake. With a man, he gave you purpose. 
women have purpose as well. So when I talk about the endangered species for the next two weeks, I'm going to be talking about the endangered woman in our culture today. So I've talked about the endangered man. I'm just going to flip it and start talking about the endangered woman this, this, uh, for the next couple of weeks. But here in Bravehearts, I just want us to kind of unpack some things that I, I talked about um, on this past Sunday. So uh, I talked about a burden bearer, a stabilizer, and, and being wise, that these three things are what we find in God, and they are innate attributes that we should find in ourselves as well. I'll be talking about King Solomon here in just a minute. John Eldridge in his book, any of you read Fathered by God? Okay, simple book, nothing complicated, but he really gets into manhood. He talks about um, different types of men as far as growing up, uh, how one day our goal should be to become a sage, which would be a wise man. But in his book, he recants a story from a young man, Sam. And uh, he asks this young man, he says, Sam, what is bringing you joys these, these days? And he says this, there was a moment's pause, and then he began to talk about a sea kayak that he was saving up for. Hope to purchase this coming September. But this is what he said, I feel like God is opposed to it. The comment struck me as odd. It felt out of the blue. Why, I asked. I don't know, he said. I guess I find it hard to believe that God wants anything good for me. Oh, yes, this man would not be alone in that feeling. I think sometimes, men, we have a hard time believing that what God gives us, he gives us because he is a good God. And one of the things he gave you is your manhood because he's a good God. And with that, he's given us a purpose. And this is, this is God saying to us, men, come along with me. So the first thing I want us to cover this morning is the first thing I covered Sunday morning, which is the burden bearer. I told you I'd unpack this to a little deeper and a little deeper degree. Martin Luther King said this. He said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too big of a burden to bear. Every man is called to be a burden bearer to some kind. This is how we know this, because one of the innate traits in Jesus was to bear burdens. So God our Father in Jesus Christ was called to be a burden bearer. What does he say? Uh, any of you remember he says, uh, come to me, all who are heavy laden or heavy burden, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus first is the burden bearer. He shows us that in his willingness to go to the cross, and then he tells each one of us, he says this, that each one of us have a cross to bear. Now he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. But he's telling us, look, you're, you'll have burdens to bear. Galatians 6.2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're called as men to understand that God innately is a burden bearer and he has set us free to do the same. So where do we start as far as being burden bearers? Any of you have any ideas there? Now you're going to get to answer these questions here in just a moment. At home, at home, there's no doubt when your children undergo some type of burden, it tends to burden us. I, I think back when we moved here several years ago, it's almost been eight years ago now, we moved, we moved here, Wade was eight years old, and he was so excited about going to school, we go to school, uh, the first day of school, he gets picked on, uh, he gets made fun of, all these things, he didn't want to be there, he just cries all afternoon. Next day, we, 
we do the same thing all over again. About the fourth day, I go to pick him up at school, and I watch him come outside, and he's walking around the corner, and this guy just comes around and just shoves him. Now, Wade, he was a little bitty guy for years. I mean, until this last year, Wade had absolutely no size to him, and this kid was a head taller, and I just wanted to jump out of my truck and go over there and wring this boy's neck. You know, I didn't. I watched what Wade did, but he just knocked him down on his hindquarters, you know, and he sat down there and kind of got his bag ready and put his bag on and just walked around and, and went on. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I can't tell you how many nights I went in there and Wade was crying in his bed saying, Daddy, I just want to go back to Wolforth. I just want to go back to Wolforth. I don't want to be here. Now, Wolforth was a different story for Wade because when he was at Wolforth, the school across the street was his school from our church. And they actually would use our classroom space because they were too big. If you know anything about friendship, it's just blowing up. So... So I had a great reputation with the teachers and the principal and superintendent over there. So they all knew Wade before he even started school. So over there, all the teachers catered to Wade. Wade helped the teachers. He was like the teacher's aide. He, he read at a young age. And so, so they used Wade and everybody knew him. We get here, no one knows him. And so it was very difficult that first year. I, I tell you, for six or eight months, I'd just sit in there beside his bed and just cry with him and just kneel down and pray over him. It was a tough time, but it was my job as his father to help him bear his burden. Our first call as husbands is to bear our wives' burdens, and next to that is to, buy, is to help bear our children's burdens. We unpack this because God is our Father, and God bore our burdens on the cross. And so it is, to me, one of the number one things that we do as fathers, as men. We have broader shoulders for a reason. God has given us these shoulders to bear one another's burdens. From there, of course, we bear the burdens of the church. Sometimes the burdens of the church are, are heavy to bear. I was thinking today of two or three different people that I need to call on and go see. Why? Because they are under an immense amount of stress right now. And they need somebody to come alongside of them to encourage them, to help equip them for the things to come and the days to come. So we bear burdens. And we do this by being in relationship. Look, if you have no burdens to bear, you need to ask yourself if you're in relationship. One with God and one with another. Now, most of you men, because you're here, have relationship. You value relationship or you wouldn't be here. All right? But I think it's a great question for us to ask, are we willing to be in relationship in order to bear one another's burdens? Sometimes I ask myself this question, what is so attractive to me between Clayton and Springer, New Mexico? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Tracy said absolutely nothing. Um, for most, that wouldn't be attractive. I've said my whole life, I want to live somewhere between Clayton and Springer, New Mexico on a 10, 20 section ranch, uh, get some of that volcanic uh, grass growing, you know, throw some calves out there. Supposedly they, they gain three pounds a day on that. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but supposedly, right, they do as well as wheat pasture. But here's, here's the deal. I, I always thought, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to get out of? Isolated. See, trying to get out of a relationship. Why? So that I don't have to bear someone else's burden. Men, I think that's, that's one of the dangers that all of us walk into at times is that we're actually looking to isolate, we're actually looking to get by ourselves so that we don't have the responsibility of relationship. But if you're going to be a burden bearer, you've got to be in relationship. That's how God designed us. 
it's, I've said this a lot of times, but lone wolves, all right, there's no such thing as lone wolves because lone wolves starve. That's what happens. So we shoulder responsibilities, faithful and dependable. Quitting is not an option because it is never in the heart of the Father God. We move on to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, and as they get on their feet, as they do well, guess what? There'll be another one come along if we stay in relationship. It's just kind of who we are. 2 Timothy 2, 12 through 13. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Meaning this, that God remained faithful even to the point of the cross to bear our burdens, and we as men ought to be burden bearers. The second one is this. The second one is this, a stabilizer. We are called to be stabilizers. So Sunday I talked about being a stabilizer. Like our Father God, men are called to be dependable, immovable, stable, and secure with no shadow of turning. You know, the Apostle Paul was warned about going to Rome. Why was the Apostle Paul warned about going to Rome? Any of you know I'm trying to keep you awake by just asking you some questions. What, what do you think would happen? I mean, there's a lot of good things happening. The Pax Romana was going on during this time, which meant the peace of Rome. They were building uh, roads like crazy. Rome, the Roman Empire understood that transportation was going to be extremely important to maintain the peace of Rome. So the peace of Rome was happening. Paul was cautioned. He was warned about going to Rome. What was the warning? Yeah, that's right. They're going to kill him. Hey, if you keep your eyes on Rome, uh, it's, gonna be, it's not going to go well for you. And you know what he said? He, he set his face as flint towards Rome. He said, no, you know what? This is what I'm called to do, so I'm going to move forward in it. He was a stabilizer. He was unshakable. He was dependable. He was immovable. Even when he persecuted Christians, at least he did it well. All right? That's, that's what he did. God could count on Paul. He was unshakable. He was an unshakable rock in a turbulent world because there is no shadow of turning with God. Our God is unshakable. He's immovable. What I love about God is he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our God is a stable God. You wouldn't want anything else. <laughs> if our God were anything else, we would be in trouble. Y'all know that? Serious, serious trouble. So we're called also with that innate gift to be stabilizers. Stabilizers for ourselves. Sometimes you're your worst enemy. Sometimes you're your own holy trinity. Me, myself, and I. And you've got to learn to stabilize that. If you're an emotional man, it's okay to shed tears. It's not okay to be waverable. You hear that? So if you're up there uh, bleeding from the heart, if you're up there crying from the heart, it's okay. If you have compassion for others, that's okay. You read the Word of God and sometimes it touches you. It doesn't mean you're a weak man. What does mean you're a weak man is when you become waverable. Because when you become waverable, when you shift like the shifting sands, when you, when you blow like the blowing winds, when, when the storm is too great and you begin to break down and change your theology, change who you are, change your personality, change to fit the culture you serve, then you are no longer a stabilizer and and men i believe this is where we are today i think we're afraid of the culture we serve because if you're stable and you say i don't agree with that what happens you're going to catch some flack 
I can say it right now. This is going to be recorded. Uh, who knows who's going to listen to this, and they're going to say, you didn't just say that. But if I say that, um, guess what? I'll give, you, I'll give you something that's really hot right now. This is hot button in politics. That's separating the kids from the parents on the border. All right, that's hot. You don't go there. Right, let me tell you about separating the kids on the border. Did you know that President Trump did not institute that? That that actually comes from Obama? Now, some of you want to disagree with that and everything else, but that's, that's where the policy originated from. Now, what he's doing is enforcing the law. And whether you agree with it or not, people are getting hurt. I get that. You know, but, but there are ways to become American citizens here in the United States. That's a hot button. Right? It's a hot button. Some of us have, have family members. Others of us have, have kin folks that are directly involved in, in this. And it's scary and it's all those things, but we've got to be stabilizers. You know, who we are cannot be shifted. I'm not saying you can't learn. I'm not saying that, that you can't change your opinion. But I am saying if you change and you shift every time a little bit of persecution or a little bit of heat comes along, you'll never be refined. You'll just be burned. A stabilizer understands the difference between being refined and being burned up. There is no shadow of turning. If you choose to follow Jesus, you remember the, the, the song we used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Any of you remember that? Though none go with me, still I will what? Follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No shadow of turning. That is being a stabilizer because the more stable you are, listen, the more stable the nucleus, the less chaos around it. And that's just what God has called us to be. So, the scripture makes it clear that that's an innate trait of our Heavenly Father. As a matter of fact, what's it say about our Father? It says that He is not the God of chaos or confusion, but what? Good. The God of order. He is the God of order. We too should have that type of order in our lives. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Christ, we should be unwavering and stable. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Be there for your kids. Be stable for your kids. Be stable for your family. Be stable for your wives. Be stable for your work. You know, I grew up on the farm, and, and my dad was unwaverable in some things. I mean, we sharpened our hose. Those are instruments that you used to get anyway in it's kind of hard for me to explain what they look like. But it was very important that every night we would sit on the tailgate and Dad, he had a file, and he, we would hand him our hose. And we had our own hose. Now, man, this is a different kind of hose. This is, like I said, these were used for the field. And, and so Dad would, would take that and just, just make sure that our hose were very, very sharp, ready for the next morning because Mom would get us up early, early to go hoe cotton. And we hoed cotton with the migrants that were in as well. We would beat them to the field. And all, all of us kids would be out there. If you came and visit, visited and stayed the night, you would be out there. And so, and so we had a hoe in our hand, and this is what we would do. We would pick up two rows as we went down, and, and our hoe was sharpened every single night. My dad was, was very stable. He made sure that, we, that our hoes were sharpened, that we were ready to go. And Mom got us up early, early, early because it was still cool. We'd usually only go till about noon, 1 o'clock. When it heated up, she brought us kids home. And we went in the house, but we started very, very early. So, so here's the thing. <clears throat> I grew up with just common sense. I mean, President Lincoln, 
He said, he said, if I have four hours to chop down a tree, I'm gonna fist, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my first three doing what? Sharpening my axe. Right? And so so that's just that's just being smart. It's just being stable. It's just doing the things you need to do to better your life. And what happens is you you help form your nucleus. If you get up every morning and you're stable and you get in the word of God and you pray, your kids see that. It must be something important about what's going on. That's showing them stability in life. It's pointing them to your heavenly father. The third thing is this, is wisdom. We covered wisdom just briefly this past Sunday. I've got to keep an eye on the time here. We've covered, we, we covered this briefly on Sunday, but let me talk about wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. And it's interesting to me that in, in the passages of Scripture that, that you look up on wisdom, that God simply says this, ask me for it. Ask me for common sense. I was telling you, I kind of grew up with common sense. I, I remember uh, hearing some arguments when I was about 20 years old and going, I don't even know why we're arguing this because the side that you're arguing has no common sense to it. You ever been around people like that? And then they, they create doctrines and false doctrines on this. And now I sit here and watch news sometimes and I'm going, why are you telling a 10-year-old that he's gay? No common sense. Well, here's the reason. There is no wisdom. Outside of God, wisdom's the one, God's the one that created wisdom. It's interesting to me in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is referred to as a she, which is great. You know, she gives all these things. You can go and read those scriptures. Scripture declares that a house or a family is built by wisdom. Ben Franklin, ben Franklin said this, lost time is never found again. A wise man will not lose time. Lost time is never found again. Uh, I have no idea who said this, but at some point in time I put it in my notes. There is more to life than increasing its speed. That's wise. Gandhi said this, only a life lived for others is a life worth, oh, no, 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 I know who said that. There's more life to increasing speed. That is Gandhi. Only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. That's Albert Einstein. James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Think about some of the wisest people that you've ever been around. As you're around them, what do you glean from them? You glean their ways of wisdom. You find out that they are stabilized. You know, as, as, and I would say this, wisdom and education are not necessarily the same. You may not have got a, a formal education. That's okay. Formal education, some of the people that have the most formal educations are some of the most ignorant people I know. And I mean that. I have said under them at Duke University, supposedly the wisest of wise, ones that have written books. I could tell you the names of the books and, and, and what they've written, uh, even bishops today. But they are very waverable. Depending on which way the waves are going is what they teach and what they preach. If it's liberal that day, they're liberal that day. If it's conservative that day, they're very conservative. They have a lot of knowledge, but they have very little wisdom. Now, I'm not opposed to a formal education. I'm just simply that is not what makes you wise. Your time spent with God is what will make you a wise man because he is the one that gives the gift of wisdom. 
that's where it comes from. So as we jump in, I want to uh, close with this. I'm going to jump into the Word of God for just a moment. I want to come, come at you from 2 Chronicles. Many of you know this story, and I want to kind of unpack these three things very quickly out of this story of Solomon. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Now, just from that and what I've talked about today, it says that Solomon established himself. What would, where would that fit with our three points that we've covered today? He was, I'll just tell you real quick because we do need to move on. He was a stabilizer. Notice this. It says this. You, you can find all this. Just, just You'll just start seeing it. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly. If someone establishes themselves firmly, they are unwaverable. All right? So, so he's already, he's a stabilizer. All right. Over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and to judges and the leaders in Israel, the heads of all the families, and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place in Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now let me just stop right there. He says this, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, to the judges, to all the leaders in Israel, and to all the heads of the family. Who would the heads of the families be? To all the men. So, so this, this is what I want you to see in this. This tells me that he's in relationship. He is a burden bearer. So he's in relationship with thousands of people, right? And so he goes to this tent of meeting, verse 4. Now David had brought up the ark, the ark of God, from Kiriath-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar at Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now, a thousand burnt offerings, what's he doing here? He is leading, he is a stabilizer. He is leading his people. He's a burden bearer for his people. Why did he make sacrifices? Why did priests make sacrifices in those days? On behalf of who? On behalf of God or on behalf of the people? Good, on behalf of the people. So this is what he's doing. He's, he's very wise, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. So, that night, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. So here he's made a thousand sacrifices on behalf of the people. He's leading, he's in relationship, he's bearing their burdens, or he wouldn't be making these sacrifices, right? And so God has seen him. Isn't it interesting that it took a thousand times for God to speak? Sometimes, men, that's what it feels like in our prayer life, huh? I won't chase that rabbit, but just know that he hears every one of your prayers, all right? Uh, Solomon was just persistent. He was consistent. He was a stabilizer. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now, watch what God said. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life but 
for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon was the wisest king to have ever lived next to King Jesus. And so he's given that because he asked for that wisdom. You'll see all the attributes that I just talked about in King Solomon. Some of you may say, well, King Solomon didn't end well. He didn't stay the course. And, and I'll tell you, where he lost vision is his mid-age crisis. And I've said this before, when he started putting spinners on his camel, right? So some other things came up. I mean, the tents had to, had to have a little more gold in them, that type of thing. You know, Solomon started seeing who he was being a wise king, and that, that becomes different than, than just stewarding for a time and understanding the God-given traits that he's given to lead such a great nation, the nation of Israel. So as we, as we see Solomon's life, I would just encourage men to know that these three traits are innate because they're innate in our Heavenly Father and we are created in his image. You see that? So you have these as well. Ask God to reveal and ask God to help. Ask God every time you go into your tent of meeting, if you will. It may take a thousand times, but continue to ask God to reveal these attributes that you have because they're innate in you because you are a man. And he's called you to be the carrier of these great gifts. So with that, I'll close us in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for these men. Father, I just pray that we would be stabilizers, burden bearers, and very wise. Father, wisdom, because we spend time with you. And as we spend our time with you, Father, you grow us up into the men that you've called us to be. Lord, that we would set our faces as plant. Lord, and that, that, that we would not only bear one another's burdens, but we would be stable in our household. Lord, we know that when we're unstable, it causes an unstable household, an unstable wife, unstable children. So, Father, let us be consistent. Lord, we pray for wisdom. Lord, just as Solomon asked for it, we ask for it this day, that we would walk with you and you would show us and continue to reveal to us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.